So as we've been talking about miracles in this series, one of the things that came to my mind is, is miracles really have this dramatic impact on a moment in time, right? I mean, there's this, there's this moment where the miracle takes place. It's a sea that parts, a storm that ceases, uh, and, and there's this instantaneous effect that the miracle uh, makes a splash, makes an impact. Now, some miracles, though, have a lasting effect. It's, it's a moment in time, but that now impacts a longer season. Uh, a blind man whose sight is restored, that's not just a momentary miracle. That, that miracle is going to reap benefits for the rest of his life. Uh, a soldier's daughter brought back to life. Uh, these are miracles that they will never forget. And obviously, the, even the other miracles, they're never going to forget. But this continues to have an impact all the way through. But there are a handful of miracles that we read about in scripture that keep happening. They happen again and again and again, and they are repeated every day. We see these miracles taking place and they change life after life after life. And these are the, the gifts that keep on giving. These are the miracles that are ongoing. And those are the miracles that I wanted to address today. One, one of these gifts was given a couple thousand years ago. When Jesus was crucified, he was executed on a Roman cross and he was buried in a borrowed tomb and it was over. The threat had been eliminated. The problem had been dealt with. At least that's how the, the Romans and the Jewish leaders felt. And they couldn't have been more right. The problem was gone and the threat had been eliminated. But the Romans and, and the Jewish leaders thought that they were eliminating the problem in Jesus. What they didn't know was that Jesus was the solution to the problem. The problem had been dealt with with Jesus' death on the cross because three days later, Jesus resurrected. He came back to life and won victory over sin. He won victory over death. And ever since, that miracle has been reproduced in person after person who puts their trust in Jesus. He forgives us. He restores us. He brings life to lifelessness. And I've experienced that miracle personally. You, many of you have experienced that miracle personally. And if you never have, you can experience <clears throat> that miracle today. It's one of the prayers that we find in the, that the Bible tells us is always answered yes. That prayer is always answered yes, without fail. That prayer is God save me. And it will never go unheard. It will never go unanswered. And it will never be answered in the negative. When you call on God to save you, he responds. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so there is no doubt on that one. And that miracle takes place again and again and again and again. And as we continue to talk about miracles and we celebrate all that God has done in the past, and we pray for what he will do in the future, don't ever forget the most important miracle of all time and that he gave his life to secure life for us. There is no greater miracle than the death and resurrection and the ongoing life that that brings. But the miracle of salvation is really, it's not the only miracle that has persisted for thousands of years and is still taking place today. There's another one that's in that same category as salvation. And what I want to talk to you about today is the miracle of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
And you may have heard that term used, or maybe the infilling of the Spirit, or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon a person. All those terms are synonymous from Scripture. And just like salvation, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is both a miracle and a gift. And what I want to do is I want to help every single one of us today, regardless of your church background or your lack of church background or, or different denominational backgrounds, uh, is to hear what the Bible says and to think for a few moments about this question. Do I want all that God has for me? Do I want all that God has for me? And what we're going to do today is to look at what the Bible has to say about this miracle. And I'm going to be doing some old school teaching today. Uh, I'm going to share scripture, a lot of scripture, and let us see what God's will for us is in this important area. Because really what God's will is and what scripture says is really all that matters, isn't it? What does the Bible say and what does God want me to do with what it says? Those are the things that really matter the most. What does the Bible say and what does God want me to do with what the Bible says? And at the end of the day, what people say doesn't matter. What we feel doesn't matter. What we think doesn't even matter. What matters is what God's word says and what God wants me to do with what it says. The Bible is going to be my standard for what God says. It has to be. That is the highest standard for what God has to say is what is written in the pages of scripture and for what God does and for what God expects and for what is a priority in my life. The word of God is that standard for me. And if we want to really walk in a dynamic relationship with the Lord and have a supernatural experience of his presence and his goodness on our lives, none of us can afford to say, well, you know, I kind of view it this way. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how we view it. And the enemy, here's the thing, the enemy loves for any one of us to get caught up and be more given to following our preferences than we are to file following the priorities of God's word. The priorities of God's word should always trump our preferences. So today we're going to unpack a lot of scripture and talk about the priority according to the word of God of being baptized in the Holy Spirit according to the Bible. So following salvation and water baptism, the next thing that God wants every single believer to experience is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the reason I say salvation and water baptism is because once you have experienced salvation in Christ, you need to be baptized in water. That is what scripture teaches us. It is not a requirement for salvation, but for those who are saved, it is required according to scripture. And every one of us, if we are saved, we need to be baptized in water. And if you've never taken that step of obedience and been baptized in water, please let me know. I would love to set something up. Let's get you baptized. Let's celebrate that with you. It's a huge celebration moment for God's family. And so uh, we would love to partner with you in helping you take that step of obedience and being baptized in water. But the next thing that God wants every single believer to experience is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's not an option, it's essential. It's something that God wants every one of us to receive. 
And the reason why is because when that happens, it's Jesus immersing you in a power that is not your own. It's the beginning of you and I walking in a supernatural experience of God working in our life that you cannot know any other way. And I'm not saying you can't experience God's presence or God working without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying there are some things that will only happen in your life when you have experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we'll make that clear through scripture uh, as we go through this message. Now, depending on your church background and where you've come from, you've probably heard different teaching on this subject because there are differing thoughts on this. I once heard a pastor say he was going to demystify the Holy Spirit for us. I mean, seriously, you're going to demystify the Spirit of God. If there's anyone that can't and shouldn't be made normal or approachable, it's the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me you're going to demystify the Holy Spirit. I can't demystify him. I can't even help you understand the Holy Spirit. That's like saying I'm going to help you understand creation. We will never understand creation. God spoke the universe into existence with four words. Let there be light. Good luck with understanding that one. The best thing I can do for you in explaining creation is tell you that the Bible says God did it. And that's enough. And with regard to the baptism in the Holy Spirit, God said it's important, essential even. And that's enough. We need to walk and live in obedience. So here's what it comes down to. If the scripture says it, we need to be all about it. If the scripture says it, we need to be all about it. If it doesn't, we're not. So let's look at what Jesus said. Let's look at what the apostles said and what the apostles did. So we start in Luke chapter 24, and this is Jesus. He's appearing to the disciples after his resurrection. And we pick this up in verse 45 of Luke 24. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. So he says, I'm going to send you out. You're my witnesses. You're going to do this thing. You're going to continue on the work that I've begun. We're going to take the gospel all over the world. So this is important. He's entrusting his ministry to his followers, and he's telling them what's coming next. Then he says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city, in Jerusalem, until you've been filled with power from heaven. In other words, don't go preach. Don't hold crusades. Don't go. Don't go somewhere else. You stay here, because until you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not going to have what you need to live a supernatural life to the degree that you need to in order to reach people for me. This is the instruction that Jesus gives his disciples. Then you come to Acts chapter 1. And here you have it repeated again. And for those of you who may not be aware, the, the book of Acts is, is a short form of the Acts of the Apostles. It's basically the story of the early church and how the early church transformed the known world through the power of the gospel. 
Okay, and so that's what we see in Acts. And in Acts chapter 1, this is during the 40 days following the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was resurrected three days after his crucifixion. And he remained on earth for 40 days following his resurrection. And he hung out with his disciples. He taught. He appeared to larger groups. And then after 40 days, he ascended into heaven. And during these 40 days, this is one of those times where he interacted with his disciples and gave them some instruction. He's teaching them. He's preparing them for his departure. He's entrusting them with the ministry. And so in Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 4, it says, Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. Now pause there. We just saw that he had given them the same instruction in Luke 24. So you'd think once is enough, right? I mean, I told you this. So maybe they're sitting around and maybe they're getting antsy and maybe they're talking about all they have to do and we want to get started and let's start hitting the, the, the pavement and let's get out there and let's tell people the good news. And Jesus reiterates, do not leave Jerusalem. Don't do it. I told you before, I'm telling you again, until the father sends you the gift he promised. Now it continues. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here Jesus is again saying, don't go anywhere. How important is this? This is the first thing that should happen after salvation and water baptism in the life of a follower of Jesus. It's that important. This is the next thing. That that is God's desire. God wants everyone to receive this gift. This is not for a select few. This is not for just the really important ones. This is not for the ones he has a special calling on their lives. This is for every believer to be empowered to live the kind of lives and to fulfill the mission that Jesus has called us to fulfill. God wants everyone to receive this gift. And it's not when you've studied it out and you understand it and now you're ready to receive. No, it's just the next thing on God's timetable, just like water baptism. You don't have to study it out and understand it to be baptized in water. You just obey. And in the years that follow, you'll grow in your appreciation, your understanding of the power, the importance and the significance of water baptism and the richness of that, the symbolism there. Same with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So what happens then when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit? What, what does this mean? What is it like? Acts 1.8 uh, tells us what it's, it's like. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the, the core correlation between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the impact it has on us is power dunamis, the Greek word, where we get the word dynamite. It is explosive power that uh, becomes available in our lives. So Jesus says, it's going to give you the power I want you to have to live the kind of life I've called you to live. And it's going to enable you to go everywhere and witness. So there's this other link between not just living the kind of life, but being the kind of witness that Jesus wants us to be. And the heart of the Lord is simply this, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be a priority. It wouldn't be an afterthought. It wouldn't be something we put on the shelf. It wouldn't be something that we set aside till we think we're ready for it. And I really want to encourage you to think along these lines that this is not an option. It's essential. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not optional. It's essential. Uh, It's not like 
it's not an option. Like, you know, you're looking at a car and the car has options. So maybe it has a third row seat. Yeah, that'd be kind of nice to have or a power step down, you know, sidestep on the car. That, that'd be nice to have or all leather interior. That's kind of nice too. These are options. These are nice to haves. This, this is not an option. It's an essential. Kind of like when you buy a car, you want it to have an engine. You know, it's, it's not really optional. The engine is not an optional component to the car. It's a mission critical component to the car. That's essential. You don't say, well, I got a great car, but it doesn't have an engine. That's not going to help you. And the same way as a follower of Jesus, we don't say, well, you know, I accepted Jesus, but I, I, don't, I don't want that baptism in the Holy Spirit thing. That's not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches we need this. God wants this for you. And we need to ask to receive that gift. And I want you to notice that we're just in Acts chapter one right now. We've gone from Luke's gospel now to Acts one and already you're seeing the priority of this. But as we go through the book of Acts, I want you to see some things. Jesus has told them to wait. So what does waiting look like for the disciples? Acts 1.14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. So there's this unity of prayer that is taking place as they wait for God to send the gift of the Holy Spirit. So for 10 days, they're praying for 10 days. And you know what? They had no promise it was going to be for 10 days. Jesus didn't say, don't leave Jerusalem for 10 days, but stay in prayer. He said, just wait until. So they didn't know if it was going to be 10 days. For all they knew, it could be 90 days. It could be six months. In other words, they have this kind of mentality. God, we're not going anywhere until we receive everything that you have for us. I want that mindset every day of my life. God, I don't want anything until I receive everything that you have for me. I want your will to be done in my life. I want every gift that you have for me. I want every plan and calling that you have for me. Anything you've got, God, that you want me to experience or have or go through, I want that above anything else that I could desire. And so the, the, all the, the followers of Jesus here, we're not going to focus on anything else until we receive God. Until I receive, this is going to be the focus. So they're praying, they're waiting on the Lord. And as they wait, we read this in Acts chapter 2 in verse 1. And this is Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up and they receive the gift that Jesus had promised them. And they are all filled with the Holy Spirit and they're speaking a language that is not their native language. When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, according to the scripture, you speak in a spiritual language. And we'll see that wasn't just in the upper room, it was subsequent to that as well. So, you know, at that point, most of us are like, wait, what? What does speaking a language you don't know have to do with anything? I mean, why is that linked to the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Bottom line, I have no idea. I have no idea why God chose that. Remember, we're just taking a journey through what the Bible teaches, what the Bible has to say about this topic. We don't have to get it. We just have to accept it and receive it if that's what God has for us. But I do have a thought about it as to a possibility as to why. 
Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is yielding to the power of God. It's saying, God, not my will, but yours. It's a surrendering. Uh, I, the way I phrased it uh, throughout my ministry is it's not you getting more of God. It's God getting all of you is the way I like to describe the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the transformation that takes place is inward. It's not outward. You know, that, that tongues of fire thing, that was a one-time deal in scripture. That was just in the upper room. So we don't experience that one today. And I have to admit, I'm a little disappointed, but also a little relieved at the same time uh, that that's not happening today. Uh, we can't see someone being filled with the Holy Spirit. But speaking in an unknown language, that's outward. That, everybody can hear that. that. That is evident. That is obvious that, that something has taken place. It's something we can experience. So how do we know that someone has yielded completely to God's will, his Holy Spirit, and his power working in their lives, and God has given them that gift? Let's jump over to James for a second. In James chapter 3, verses 6 through 8, it says this, And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. So James has some strong thoughts about the words that we speak and the inability of mankind to control our words, to control what we say and what comes out of our mouths. And so here's my thought. If the tongue is the most difficult part of the body to control, according to scripture, then what greater evidence that the Holy Spirit is in charge than the, that person has yielded control of what they say? And the Holy Spirit is now speaking through that. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, that that could be the reason that God chose to use that evidence of speaking in an unknown language to that person. So when a person is filled with the Spirit, they're going to speak in a language they don't know. So what is this language? Let me give you three suggestions that we see in Scripture. Once again, everything I'm going to talk about today, we're going to back up uh, with the pages of Scripture. So number one, it could be a foreign language. Uh, Acts 2, 7 and 8, they were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. So when they went out that day, it was a earthly language that was unknown to them. So sometimes it's a foreign language, a human language. Number two, it could be, this is a possibility, it could be the language of angels. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but did not love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And the idea here is some Bible scholars have felt that maybe there is an angelic language uh, that is spoken when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's certainly possible. Um, it could also be in this case that Paul is just using poetic language. 1 Corinthians 13 is a very poetic chapter of scripture, and Paul could just be using poetic language there. So I don't put, you know, a whole lot of, uh, not credibility, I don't think it's not credible, but I don't put a whole lot of stock in that one. The other, and I think most often the case, is the language of the Spirit. We're not talking about the Holy Spirit, though. He's the one who gives us that. He's the one who empowers us to do this. But we're talking about the language of your spirit, your inner man, the new man in you, speaking to God. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14. 
For if I pray in tongues, or that unknown language, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I am saying. Well then, what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit, and I will also pray in words I understand. In, all, in other words, pray normally, the way we, we normally pray. This is why you need to pray both with your mind and you need to pray in the spirit. The Lord is speaking through you, giving you words to pray. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. So this unknown language can be any one of those things. And let me just pause, because this is the point where some people kind of get freaked out. They're like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. What are we talking about here? And I will say, I have no idea. <laughs> I know what the Bible tells us. I know what the words of scripture say. I know that it happens. I've experienced it personally. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of other people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in this unknown language in prayer and worship to God. I've seen this time and time again. And yet at the same time, after all my years of doing this, after you know, dozens and dozens of youth camps where I've prayed over students to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and seen God fill them in a powerful way. To this day, I cannot explain to you how it happens. It's supernatural. You cannot explain a miracle. That's the nature of a miracle. And so uh, this unknown language can be any of those things. Now watch Watch what happens as we go through Acts, okay? In Acts chapter 4 now, we're just kind of journey through Acts. The apostles, they're being told, listen, no more speaking in the name of Jesus. They're being shut down by the authorities. We do not want to hear you speaking uh, in the name of Jesus anymore. So what do they do? They're being threatened. They're being told not to say anymore. They, they even get thrown in prison overnight to just cool off and, and think about it. And this is how they respond in Acts 4.29. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and then they preached the word of God with boldness. So this is interesting, isn't it? We've already seen that they had already been filled on the day of Pentecost. They were there, tongues of fire, unknown languages, place shook. It was crazy. 3,000 people got saved that day. Forgot to mention that before. So it was just this powerful, powerful day. So these people have all been filled with the Holy Spirit already. They've received that gift. And yet in this verse, it says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preach the word of God with boldness. So now they're filled again. And what that's telling us is we need to constantly be being filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul gives us that command in another one of his epistles where he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the tense of that verb in Greek is an ongoing, continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is not a one-time, this is not just a one-time experience. This is a daily ongoing experience that God wants us to have. Some of you had an encounter with the Lord years ago, but it's not fresh. 
It's been a long, long time since you've even used your prayer language. You haven't felt the power of God in a long time. And you need to experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit again. Pray and ask him to fill you, and he will. We see it right here in Acts 4. And we also notice in this passage, clearly, they are asking for boldness, and they're asking for miracles, and God answers with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They didn't ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit here. They prayed for boldness and for miracles. So they, then they have boldness and they will do miracles, which tells us that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is God's way of empowering us to do Jesus' ministry. Then you go on, you get to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 verse 5 tells us of Stephen, and it says, Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and then it goes on. So Stephen here has been filled with the Holy Spirit. And watch what it says just three verses later in verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Now, first of all, it tells us that he was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Then it tells us what happens as a result of that. You continue on and you find in Acts chapter 8, uh, and by the way, I told you I was going to be doing some teaching here, okay? And I, I know this is a lot of scripture today. Uh, my tech crew here both looked at all my slides. They're like, man, we got a lot of scripture to, to put up today. But here's the thing. There is so much wrong or off that is taught and believed about this topic in the church today. There is so much squishy teaching on this subject that is very subjective and very feelings-based. And it's important that we base our beliefs and our practice on what God's word says. That's what's important to me, and so that's why I'm really unpacking a lot of scripture for you this morning. Uh, and so we're just gonna continue on that journey. Acts 8, we have the story of Samaria being reached, which is a region north of Judea, which is where Jerusalem is. And in Acts 8, verse 12, it says, But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. So if we pause there, if the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, that means they've been saved. Okay? They've believed that. And then it says, As a result, many men and women were baptized. There's the next step. Get saved. Get baptized. Okay, uh, so that's, that's the natural biblical progression. Accept Jesus into your heart, make a commitment to follow him, be born again, and then be baptized in water. And, and some people uh, I, I know personally have said, well, you know, I think the infilling of the Holy Spirit, I think that's salvation. At salvation, the Holy Spirit lives in us. He takes up residence in us. You become the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And that's absolutely true in Romans 8, 9. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So the spirit of God lives in you if you are a follower of Jesus. Absolutely. The Holy Spirit is the one who has done that regenerative work. He's the reason we can be born again. But there's a second work of the spirit where the spirit of God fills you. So here's the thing. I believe the Holy Spirit is at work in all mankind, okay? He's drawing people towards Jesus. He lives, dwells in all followers of Jesus, and that's the verse we just read. But then there is a subsequent to that moment 
the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where we don't get more of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit gets all of us. So when these people, they heard the gospel, they were baptized, they are believers, but there is a second work that God wants to do in the life of every single believer where he empowers them, fills them with power, baptizes them with the Holy Spirit. Here's the priority that the early church puts on this. Look at verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, baptized in water. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. So this is God's desire for all of us. These are not the apostles. These are not the ones who were gathered there in Jerusalem on that day, on the day of Pentecost. This is another country. This is another area that missionary journeys are starting to take place. And Philip is going out and sharing the gospel and people are getting saved. And the church understood, hey, once people get saved, we want to make sure they're filled with the Spirit. And so we're going to send Peter and John, we're going to send the big guns here to make sure that happens. Are you starting to get a sense for the priority that God places on this experience and this gift and this miracle in the Bible? It is a high priority that God places on this. Then you go to Acts chapter 9, and in Acts chapter 9, here you have the story of the Apostle Paul. So Ananias went and found Saul. This is after Saul had met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's been blinded. He's been told, go and wait. I will send somebody to you. Ananias is that dude. Ananias shows up uh, and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice something here. Who is concerned about Paul being filled with the Holy Spirit? Not Ananias, Jesus. Jesus is the one who sent Ananias. What's Jesus' concern for you and concern for me? That we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's his concern for you. That's his priority for you. He is the one who baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. And some say, well, it doesn't say anything in this passage about Paul speaking in another language, does it? But Paul himself gives this testimony in 1 Corinthians 14. In 1 Corinthians 14, 18, he says this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. So Paul is a person who is speaking in tongues, apparently a lot. Okay, uh, this is a regular practice in Paul's life. And praying in your prayer language should be a regular part of your prayer and devotional life. Of your private time with God, praying in the Spirit makes a massive difference, a massive difference in the prayer life of a believer. So I want to encourage you, if you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, utilize that prayer language as a regular part of your prayer life. And if you have not yet received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about that. But don't wait. Ask God to give you that gift. So next is Acts 10. And Peter is preaching to a group of people who have never heard the gospel before. And he's giving them the gospel. And they're putting their faith in Jesus. And it says this in Acts 10, 44. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. 
the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. So Jews and Gentiles both receive this gift. This is not spiritually partisan, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is not coming from a denominational standpoint. This is coming from a biblical standpoint. This is what happened. This is what does happen. This is what Jesus wants for you. So look at it in Acts chapter 19. This is now Paul's ministry. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. So what's the first thing Paul's going to ask if he met you? I mean, if you met the Apostle Paul, if he were alive today and he met you, he's not going to want to know where you're from. He's not going to ask you what you do for a living. He's going to ask, first of all, are you a believer? And if you say, yes, I am, he's going to say, are you filled with the Spirit? Have you received that gift? That's what he's going to care about more than anything else because Paul knows more than anything else, that's what introduces you to the power of God and the supernatural working of God in your life in a way that nothing else will. So this is really huge to Paul. And here's the response. No, they replied, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked, and they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance of sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, so he baptized them in water. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. I, here's the thing. I could keep going, but I think you're getting the sense of priority that scripture places on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Every believer, every single believer needs to receive this gift. Every time they met people who were, who were new Christians, they asked them, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They prayed for them. They believed with them and they were filled. It's a miracle that began 2,000 years ago and it continues today. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was seven years old. Uh, so there's not an age requirement. All that's required is that you're old enough to genuinely place your faith in Jesus and you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the question you have to ask is, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? If we're going to be the church that Jesus wants us to be, and I'm referring to trilogy at this point, we need to be the believers that Jesus wants us to be. And to be that, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The same gift that Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for. The same gift that Peter and Paul prioritized in almost every encounter that we see with new believers. And if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need to. How? Ask. Ask God to fill you. Just ask Jesus, hey, I want everything you've got. If there's something you have for me and I haven't received it yet, I want to experience that. There's only three reasons believers don't ask for this amazing gift. Number one, they don't know they need to. Okay? Those are those uh, followers of Jesus who said, no, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Okay? Well, we've covered that today for sure. So if you're hearing this message, you now know you need to. The second thing is they don't think it's for them. Also covered today. So check that one off too. The third reason that believers don't ask for the Holy Spirit is they're afraid. And I think that is true more often than we realize. 
We don't like things we don't understand. We don't like things we can't explain. And, and, but if you trusted God for your salvation, you can absolutely trust that this gift that he wants to give us is amazing. Jesus taught in Matthew 7, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Here's the bottom line. We pray and ask God all the time for a miracle. Heal my grandmother. Get us through the end of the month. We pray for miracles all the time, not knowing if it's his will to answer with a yes. But we still bring those needs. We still ask God to work a miracle. But this miracle, the Bible is filled with examples, including from Jesus himself. This miracle shows us that this is his will for you. We see it time and time again. This is God's will for every follower of Jesus. And that answer is always going to be yes. Are we willing to pursue the miracle he promised us that he would send? Your life, your faith, your mission, your witness will never be the same. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your incredible gifts that you give us, the most important of which is salvation. God, that is a miracle that took place 2,000 years ago and takes place countless times around the globe every single day as we see new life, as we see people give their hearts to you and, and they are born again and they are forgiven and they are set free. Jesus, we thank you for that gift. God, we also thank you for the empowering gift that you promised and you did send to us, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would, for those of us who have experienced that gift already and we've received that gift, Lord, I pray that you would help us to prioritize that gift in our lives, that we would live in the power of God, that we would use our prayer language and make that a regular discipline in our prayer lives. God, I pray that you would do that for, uh, for your glory, that we might be more effective witnesses, that we might see uh, the miraculous take place in our lives and through our lives. And God, for those who maybe have not yet received that gift, they're followers of Jesus, but they've, they've never prayed and asked you to, to send that gift, or maybe they've been confused before about what this means and why, and, and today maybe there's been some clarity brought through uh, the, our journey through Scripture and what Scripture teaches about this gift. And Lord, I pray that they would take some time in the near future, that they would get alone with you and they would begin to pray and ask you for this amazing gift that you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would empower us. I pray that you would fill us. I pray that you would transform us. And God, as you transform us, God, transform Trilogy. And as you transform Trilogy, transform our community. God, I pray that this would be just this incredible avalanche of life change and transformation and new stories that we see take place because we're walking in the steps that you have commanded us to walk as followers of Jesus. We love you and we want everything that you have for us, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.